thank the Lord, first of all, for this opportunity. I want to thank Pastor for allowing me to speak tonight. And um, I appreciate the people that have put on the services since we've been in this quarantine. And I appreciate uh, Pastor and Mike, Jesse, LJ, Mark. I just appreciate their work and just keeping things rolling as far as the services go. I know it's been great for my wife and I to be able to watch the services at home. And uh, we've been definitely encouraged by that. We do miss our church family, uh, but of course we could stay connected over the phone and different things. Uh, but we just praise God tonight. As we talk about tonight, I'm, my message is going to be about fear and deliverance. And it's really kind of what many of us are going through at this time in our life. And, you know, I think about some of the things that as, as I went through my life, I thought I picked out three things that I kind of had fear in my life to, as I went through them. And the first one I picked was with uh, one of my children when we, when we decided to have a child, we had no health insurance. And I remember my wife looking to me to how we were going to pay for that. And we saved up some money and we paid, uh, we paid everything in advance. We had everything paid up, ready to go. I was not worried about that. And then my wife had to have a C-section. That was unplanned. And the cost went from a few thousand dollars to really to between ten dollars and $20,000. I don't remember the exact amount now. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, how am I going to take care of this? How am I going to take care of my family? Well, long story short, sometime after we had um, uh, our child, we were moved to Hawaii, and the place we stayed at in Hawaii, we had to pay no rent. And so during that time, we were able to pay off that C-section during that time, an unexpected expense, an unexpected fear in my life that God took care of. Another, one, another incident in my life that, that we just looked to God for, um, Mark was getting ready to go to college. And as we, went to, as we went to go to college, as he went to go to college, we didn't have a college fund. And we thought, how are we going to pay for this? And we just trusted the Lord. And uh, we, um, we went and Mark got a job on campus for about 20 hours a week. And the Lord provided through work and through other sources. And we were, and we were able to make that happen and, and let Mark come out of college debt-free. And that was a big blessing in our life. And again, another challenge, another thing that has, you know, that came up in our life that caused fear as far as where is the income going to come from? And I know many of you, maybe on your jobs and different things, you're, you're facing a, a furlough or a layoff, temporary layoff because of uh, the situation. Well, let me rest assured to you that God will take care of you. And then the last one I picked out really was happened to me last summer when I lost my eyesight and my right eye in four days. I lost my eyesight, and I didn't know why. I didn't know uh, what the cause was. In fact, the first thing that came to my mind was eye cancer. That's the first thing I was concerned about when I went to the doctor, and he looked in my eye. And uh, when he went through all the, a very thorough examination, and then he looked and he said, don't worry, it's not cancer. He could tell from that, from that first um, look into my eyes, he could tell it wasn't cancer that we were dealing with. And he found out it was a detached retina. And thankfully... It was something that could be repaired. And I just praise the Lord for that. And of course, I've been through many other trials and different things in my life that God has seen me through. Uh, but those three kind of stood out to me. Well, tonight, as we look into the Word of God, we're going to look into the book of Esther. So if you get your Bibles ready to the book of Esther, that's what we're going to look at tonight. And you know, Esther had a unique challenge in life. And her challenge really um, was that her and her people... We're going to be put to death because of a man named Haman. 
And no foreseeable way out of that. And that's where God steps in. We look to God in all things, and we look at what he has for us, and then we see that he works in a way that we never expected. And that's what we see in the book of Esther. And in the book of Esther, we have four key players that we look at. The first one is King Ahasuerus. He's the first one that we look to in, in, in there, and he's the king. And of course, we have Queen Esther. And then we have um, Haman. And then we have Mordecai. Mordecai was um, Esther's cousin. And he really became, he ended up having to raise her. Her parents were, were killed, and she, he, he raised her. And he guided her. He guided her in the things of the Lord, and he guided her in her life. And then when it was found out, uh, you know, originally in the story, when you open in Esther chapter 1, when you start off in the story, um, there, there's a different queen. Her name is Vashti. And the queen doesn't do what the king asks her to do, and he literally puts her aside and looks for a new queen. And that's where Esther comes in. Esther here becomes, um, becomes the queen. Mordecai tells her what to do and how to do things. And she becomes favored in the sight of the king. And no doubt God did that to help the Jewish people. And we'll look at that as we get into the story tonight. Um, the first scripture we'd like to look at tonight is in Esther chapter 3. And verses 1 through 6, and we see here in Roman numeral 1, my point is that Esther's problem. What is her problem? Well, Haman plans to destroy the Jews. And her and Mordecai being Jews themselves and finding themselves in a Gentile country away from uh, things, they were going to be put to death as well. And so if you look to Esther chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we'll start off with verse 1. It says, After these things... Did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him? And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then verse 3 goes on to say, Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, why transgress thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Then verse 5 goes on to say, And when Haman said that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. And let me pray again before we get into the word here. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God. And thank you that we see people in the Bible that were delivered by you out of their fear, out of their trial, out of their problems. And Lord, if they just look to you, that you had the solution all along. Lord, you're our solution for salvation. And Lord, you're just uh, the key to everything in our life. Again, we thank you. We give you the praise. I pray for our church family. I pray you'd meet every need that they have at this time. I pray for our pastor. Guide him as he leads our church and school through this time. And we just give you the praise now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we, as we look further into the scripture here, what basically happens is when Ahasuerus is king, he appoints Haman to be his number two man. And Haman has a very dislike for Mordecai. And the main reason is what we saw in these verses. Mordecai would not 
bow down and reverence Haman. The king had said, everybody needs to bow down and reverence him, and, he needs to, and they need to bow down and reverence Haman. And, and um, Mordecai, being a follower of, of Jehovah God, could not do that. He could not, because not only were they just giving reverence to the position, um, they actually treated the leaders, the kings and, and their um, leaders, actually like godlike. And so when you bowed down, it was more than just showing you showed respect for the person and their position. Uh, you were saying more than that. And so Mordecai couldn't do that. Uh, being, a, um, being a child of God, he could not do that. And so as you look at um, Mordecai not bowing down, and from that point, you know, Haman had everything, really. He's number two in power in all the land of where, of where they're at. And a little background on that. Uh, this, these events that we see unfold in the book of Esther over a 10-year period. And that period is about 400 to 500 years before Christ came on this earth. Uh, it's about 4, 480, somewhere in there, uh, B.C. And it's, it happens over a 10-year span. And so as you look at that, and you look at the time being, the, you know, we call him, and here he's listed as King Ahasuerus. Um, you might know him better as Greek name, which is Artaxerxes. And um, as, uh, or Xerxes the first, I mean. And as you look at that, and you look at Haman, he really had everything. He's number two uh, in all the land. It talks about uh, back in Esther 1.1, it lists all the things that um, Ahasuerus was king over. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus which reigned from India, even unto Ethiopia, over 107 and 20 provinces. So from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces did he rule over, and Haman's the number two man in charge of all of this area. And when you think about it, he has everything. All the people bow down to him. All the people look up to him. All the people worship him. But you know what he gets fixated on? He gets fixated on one man, Mordecai. Now as we look at our life now, like we, we watched that little video about you know, what's, what's going to happen the rest of today? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the next week or the next month and so on? But, you know, God is unchanging. God is unchanging. And so as a Christian, we don't have to worry about what comes next. Now, as people, we're natural worriers. It's, it's just part of our makeup. We tend to worry. And we're known, we know we don't need to worry, but we do. And we know that God is faithful. We may not know exactly what God has planned, but we know that God is faithful. And so, as we look further into uh, chapter 3, and we look at the things, we look at Haman just getting fixated on Mordecai, that Mordecai will not bow down, Mordecai will not bow down to him. And so, what does he do? Like most people, when they're prideful and they're stuck on the things of themselves, they only look at that, and they, he goes overboard. He decides he's going to kill all the Jewish people. And all the, and not, just, not just Mordecai, but he's going to kill and wipe out a whole um, group of people. And so as you look at uh, chapter 3 and you look at uh, Haman getting stuck on those things, we see that that's Esther's big problem. Next, let's move into Mordecai's plea to her, because this really, for Esther, it becomes a very personal problem as she is the queen it becomes very personal to her. And if you look at Esther chapter 4, and our second point here under Mordecai's plea, Mordecai pleads with Esther, 
And he has to get Esther to see the reality of the situation. You know, with this whole thing with the coronavirus, I had to get, I had to get uh, really just put in a mindset that this was really going to happen. I remember uh, uh, my son Mark, really a week or so before we had to shut down the school, I remember him saying he could see it coming. And he knew that we were going to get quarantined in our homes, and he could see all that, you know. I think I was in denial. I was like, oh, there's no way. They're not going to shut down all the schools. Oh, there's no way they're going to shut down most of the businesses. There's no way. And I remember thinking that and thinking, that's not going to happen. And, you know, the last event um, where I went out of town, where my wife and I got to go to, was the uh, fine arts competition up in Lancaster. And, And I remember... Even as we're there, things are getting shut down. And even at the competition, they shut down the, uh, the final closing ceremony. And precautions were already being taken, which I'm so thankful for the leadership that had the wisdom and the, and the plan to do that. And so, and then as we come back to, as, I, as we drove back to Banning, and I get back to Banning Friday afternoon, and I remember on Friday, it was Friday the 13th, I remember the, us coming down, and then I remember getting the word that afternoon after school was out that hey, we're going to be shutting down. And at that time, it was till April 6th. And then after, by, before that, they extended it till April 30th. But, you know, as a Christian, when we look at our lives and we say, what is next then? What, what will happen next? And, and as, as we look at, it, you know, then it became a very real and personal thing to me then. See, at first it was just a problem that was out there and was affecting people in China and Europe and then as it started to affect America, well, okay, it affects America, but it's not really affecting me. And then it narrowed down to where it's affected each one of us, you and I alike. And so this is really what's going to happen to Esther as this problem escalates between Haman and Mordecai. And really Haman and the Lord is where the, the, the disagreement is. But as we go in chapter 4 here, and we look at verses 7 and, and beyond here, we're going to start in verse 7 and we'll look at a few more verses but Mordecai is going to plead with Esther. And in, 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 in chapter 4, and verse 7, it says this. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Then in verse 8, it says, Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther, and declare it unto her, and to charge her that she, could, she should go into the king to make supplication unto him, and to make requests before him for her people. And verse 9 says, And Hatik came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Verse 10 says, And again Esther speaks unto Hatek and gives him commandment unto Mordecai. Verse 11, All the king's servant and people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law to put him uh, to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live, but I have not been called to come into him, uh, come in unto the king these 30 days. So as we look at this little section of these first uh, few verses here from, chapter, uh, from verse 7 to verse 11, and we've looked at that, um, Mordecai says to Esther, hey, you're going to have to go and into the king's presence. You're going to have to plead before the king for all the Jewish people. Imagine being one woman, one person in a foreign country, and your job is to plead the lives of your people in front of a king. 
Imagine going through that. Imagine that pressure that's on you to be the one person that everybody's looking to. Um, you know, I think about during this, this coronavirus, you know, I, I don't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but the guy that's like the main medical uh, person under President Trump, he's always got to be ready to give word about this and to give an update and to give uh, direction during this. And I thought about the pressure that was on him. I saw him on a little interview uh, this afternoon where he talked about he's getting about four hours of sleep a night. And that's because his wife's making him. And that's what most of it, why most men do things, because our wives make us do them. But, you know, as we look at that, and we, and we look at him leading us through the situation, and I can imagine the pressure that is on Esther's shoulders. And not only is it on her shoulders, but it's on Mordecai's shoulders. Mordecai actually has, you know, when he found out what Haman was going to do, he immediately was put in, put in sackcloth and started to already humble himself before the Lord to seek God's wisdom in that. And he not only has to guide himself, but he's got to guide Esther. And Esther, he sends word to Esther and says, hey, you're going to have to go before the king. You're going to have to go and, and plead for our lives. And you know, Esther's response in those latter verses that we just read, her response was, I can't go before the king unless I'm asked. If I do, it means immediate physical death. And so you think about that pressure, knowing you need to speak, speak up for your people, but then just, just going and, and thinking, my life could be forfeit here. If the king doesn't want to see me, that's it. Now remember, I mentioned early when we started the, the message here, I mentioned about Queen Vashti and how literally she was put aside and replaced by Esther because she wouldn't do what the king had asked. And so I'm sure that was fresh on Esther's mind. And I'm sure Esther you know, was contemplating all that could happen to her personally, first of all. She wasn't necessarily thinking yet that I represent all the people. She's thinking, what about Esther? What are my needs? What, 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 what's going to happen to me? And, you know, I think that's the way we saw this in the, in the, uh, with the coronavirus. What did everybody do when they rushed out to the stores and bought everything that they could, more than they needed, in fact? Why were they doing that? Well, they thought about taking care of themselves first. Instead of thinking about, hey, the needs of other people. And, um, you know, as people, nobody knew, knew or does know how long all this is going to last. But like pastors mentioned several times in these videos, you can go down to the store and you can get what you need. And that's what makes America so great, where the people that are, that are on the front lines of this thing and are the, the different medical personnel, um, the, the truck drivers that are keeping stuff moving through this country, and of course all the retail and so on, and different people that are just really doing a great job to, to, to supply us with what we need. But you think of Esther, her first thought is of herself. What is going to happen to me? And uh, she said, if I, if I go in there and I'm not asked to come in, my life is forfeit. And, uh, you know, it's probably twofold. She's probably thinking, if I die, then who's going to speak for the people? And so let's go a little further in these verses. Let's look at Esther chapter 4 and verse 12. Esther chapter 4 and verse 12. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Then in verse 13 it says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. So, you know, Mordecai has to give her a wake-up call here. He has to say, Look, do you think you're going to escape this death sentence that Haman's given us? Um, you, you all remember, I'm sure, from the Old Testament that when a king gave, gave a decree... It could not be reversed, even by the king himself. 
And so imagine the plight of knowing your people are going to be exterminated and you're going to go along with it. And so Mordecai has to remind Esther, he says, look, you think you're afraid to go in front of the king right now because you're afraid he's going to take your life. But do you realize the date that Haman appointed, you're going to die anyway? And so, uh, you know, Mordecai, does, you know, really he was not in the same room with her, but it was like giving her a slap in the face, a wake-up call, saying, Esther, wake up. You've got to see that one way or the other, your life is forfeit, so you better do what you can while you can do it. And uh, so as you look a little further there, let's look at the next verse there, and it says uh, in verse 14, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who know, uh, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return, uh, return Mordecai this answer. And then she says, Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink, three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to, the, to all that Esther had commanded him. Do you see the switch here? We go from Mordecai telling Esther to realize, hey, you're going to lose your life one way or the other. Whether you go before the king, if he doesn't like it, or on the date when Haman pronounces that death is going to come to all the Jews. So we see a switch here, though. In this verse 17 that we just read, it says Mordecai went his way. Look what it says there. It says it did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So you think about that, that switch. But see, in order for that switch to happen, in order for Queen Esther to be able to do what she needed to do for her people, she needed to realize what Mordecai had already realized, that they were put, as you mentioned in the verse before, that they were put in this place, in this time, to accomplish something for God and his people. And when you think about it, church family, we're put in this place in Banning for this time. Um, you know, I'm so thankful for Mountain Avenue Baptist Church and its history of uh, you know, nearly 60 years here and the school 40 years. And I think about all the people that have come before us and all the people that are going to come after us. But you know, this is our time. This is our moment. Um, you know, we're, this, this reminds me a lot, to be honest, of after 9-11. People were open to the things of the Lord. People were seeking what's eternal life, seeking what is, what is this life all about, seeking who created it, what's, what happens after I die, and all those things that leads them to the Lord eventually. But, you know, it, it's very comparable. And so you look at what happened there and transpired between Esther and between Mordecai and the conversation that they had. And, you know, as you look at Esther and her heart, it says, you know, after he told her that you're not going to do this, look at verse uh, 15 again here. It says, then Esther bade them, um, bade, uh, sorry, then Esther t bade them that turn Mordecai this answer. He said, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. So what does she say? Gather the people. And then she says, and fast ye for me. You know, fasting in the Bible is when you're serious, very serious about something and you need the Lord to answer and you need the Lord to deliver, you go a time where you fast. 
without food. It says here, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go unto the king. So as you think about that, she says, okay, if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm going to go to the, before the king and my life might be forfeit and I'm the only one that can speak for my people, then she says, let's take three days of preparation beforehand. Before we go, let's all fast as a people. Let's be united in what we're doing. Let's fast. Let's seek the Lord. Three days, night or day, don't drink, don't eat. Why? To, to give you time to focus on the Lord. Then she says, so will I go in unto the king. So you see Esther here, when she realizes, when she has that wake-up call from Mordecai, and she realizes, hey, I'm the one that's going to uh, speak for the people, and I'm going to die one way or the other, so I'm going to live my life to way God, the, the plan right now for, for God has for my life, I'm going to follow that. And so as we look at those things, her whole attitude changes. And she even says in that passage, if I, if I die, I die. She says that. She says, if I perish, I perish. You know what she realizes is her life is not as important as what's going to happen to all the lives that are of all the Jewish people in that country. Men, women, and child are going to be destroyed. And she, real, she realizes, if I die, I die. And, you know, I think um, as we look at our life and we look at what different things that happen to us and different challenges that we face and just different things that the, the Lord um, puts in our, in our life for us to experience and then to react to and then to really draw us into his will rather than our will. See, Esther had to be drawn out of her will and into what the will of God was, or for, was for her at that specific moment in her life. And so as, as we look at our purpose, we know that some purposes, different people have different purposes sometimes in life, but as Christians, we all have one main purpose. God said to go and preach the, the gospel to every creature. That's not just for the pastor or for the deacons or for leadership. It's for all of us. You come in contact with people that I don't come in contact with, and, and I come in contact with people that you don't. And we all have to be a witness for the Lord and a light for the Lord. Uh, you know, I thought about how scared Esther must have been to go out there and hope the king is going to accept her and, and without putting her to death and hope that this whole situation is going to work out. You know, when I go soul winning, I still get nervous every time. Whether I'm just talking to my neighbor across the street, whether I'm going to knock on a door, I don't even know the person behind the door. But I get nervous every time. Every time I get butterflies in my stomach because I'm not, I don't know if they're going to reject. I don't know if they're going to accept. I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, we can't let that nervousness that we get and our knees knocking stop us from what God's told us to do. We have to do it. We have to share. See, there's many things, even in this tragedy with the coronavirus. See, there's, there's people all over that will provide stuff for people. There's people that will get food to people. There's, there's th different things people will do to meet needs. But only a Christian can tell somebody about the spiritual need that they have in their life of a Savior. And that's having Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So I thought about what Esther was doing here and what, what she, she, she had to be scared to death. Now, did she already know the king? Well, of course. She's the queen. She knows the king. But she's still afraid to approach him. And, you know, probably the hardest ones to witness to sometimes in our lives could be our own family. 
You know, as we preach to our own family, we, we talk to our, and I'm not talking about the saved ones in our family, I'm talking about the unsaved people in our family. And as we talk to them about the Lord, you know, I had, uh, had the privilege of talking to my mom about that. Uh, most of you know my background. I grew up Catholic. We always believed that there was a God in our head, in our brain. But, you know, the problem was I didn't possess Jesus Christ in my heart. And, you know, after I got saved, I know my mom went through a lot of hardship. Uh, after I got saved, people in her church were telling her that I, I was going to hell because I left the church. And I remember my mom not understanding why I left the church that I grew up in. Why did I leave this church? And really, I got, after I got saved and I moved out of the house, I started going to a Bible-preaching church that taught me the way. But I remember many years later, my mom started coming up here when we had uh, grandparents stay in our school. And she would come up to watch uh, my two boys in the, in the grandparents stay program. And I remember being very nervous of really finally after all these years, I wanted to have this conversation with my mom to make sure she knew the Lord as her savior. And I remember one morning, we, she stayed at our house. At this point, we lived in Yucaipa. And I remember my mom and I just sitting down at the kitchen table. Everybody else was still in bed or was getting up and ready to go for their day. And my mom and I were just sitting at the kitchen table. And I said to my mom, I said, Mom, I love you. And I said, we've had a lot of conversations in life. I said, I love you. But I said, I don't know for sure if you know this, and I want to just share something with you. And basically, I went through and I talked to my mom about having a personal relationship with Christ. And I talked to her about you know, why, why I had left the Catholic Church and why I, uh, why I needed the Lord and I needed a Savior. And I talked to my mom about that. And my mom told me, she says, I have found that for myself as well. And you know what a blessing in my heart to hear that my mom knew the Lord as her Savior. And you know, many years after that conversation, you know, when she would first, she came up for Grandparents' Day after Grandparents' Day. Every year she would make this trip to, up here to go to Grandparents' Day. When she would first come to Grandparents' Day, she wouldn't go to our church. I'd try to get her to come on Sunday. She'd be here and I'd say, Mom, I really want you to come to church. She said, no. And she'd find the Catholic church in the area. She'd go to the Catholic church. So after we had that conversation that, that one morning and we talked about the Lord as our Savior, my mom came to this church on Sunday and she heard the gospel. And I believe my mom was already saved at this point, but really didn't know what to do next. So I remember my mom going to... Um, my mom started coming. Every year after that, she would come to church. Whenever she was here, she'd come, whether it was Wednesday night, whether it was Sunday, she'd come to church. And, um, you know, the last years of her life, right before she died, last days, I mean, literally the last days, I remember my mom was on hospice, and she was actually in a hospice facility. She wasn't in her house, but she was in a hospice facility. And I remember we'd visit her many times there, and every time I'd leave, it was tearful, and, uh, you know, I hated to leave because I knew my mom was going through that. And, but I remember the last couple days, the doctor took her off the feeding tube. She was, she was conscious. She knew who you were. And I said to her, I said, Mom, I said, I know we had that conversation a long time ago. I said, are you sure you're going to heaven? And she said, yes. And she smiled. I remember this big smile came on her face. She said, yeah, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. And I remember, said, are you look I asked her this question. I said, are you looking forward to seeing Jesus? And she smiled, one of the biggest smiles I could ever see. Is one of my favorite things about my mother was her smile. And I remember her just smiling, saying, I am ready to go to heaven. And I remember we, we spent several more hours and, with her, and, and then later that night, well, actually it was early the next morning, she passed away. But I remember the peace I had knowing my mother knew Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. See, I didn't know that about my father. 
My father passed away when I was six years old, so he, he, he didn't know that for sure that I know of. But my mom, I knew for sure that she knew. And what a blessing. And I think of Esther uh, being a Jew and marrying the king, who was not Jewish, he was a Gentile. And really, through all this, Esther was a testimony through her life. And, and we've talked about us as a church family during this time being a light unto um, our other people. And so one of the ways we're a light is we just we, we stand strong for Christ, and we're helpful, and we just really are concerned about other people. And that's really where we need to be at. And so let's look at, uh, let's go ahead and jump into number three, where God provides. God provides. Well, remember what we talked about. Haman had convinced the king to, to make a proclamation where on a set day of a set month of a set year, everybody could freely kill the Jews without any consequence. They were able to take their lives, they were able to do whatever they were to them and take their spoil, take whatever goods that they had. Well, the king could not reverse that. And uh, kind of as you look through, I want to challenge you this week to look through and read the book of Esther. Because Esther is about t- is 10 chapters. You can read through it. I read through it uh, twice this week. And I, I, you can read it in like 20 to 30 minutes as you read through the book of Esther. And you look at God's plan all along to have Mordecai and Esther in this kingdom at a set time. And, you know, the king's already proclaimed that all the Jews are going to die on this set day uh, through Haman. So the king can't reverse what he has said as far as them being able to kill the Jews, but... He sends out a new proclamation after Esther prepares two banquets for the king and for Haman. She, she, through that, they realize, you know, the king realizes what Haman has done and that he's really literally uh, just out for himself and he's out to be a, really a, just a traitor. And this is what the king decrees. After Esther asks him and asks for his favor and all those kind of things, he, he, she asks the king, if he could reverse what, what he said. And of course, he can't reverse it, but this is what he did. He said, all the Jews have the right to defend themselves, and they have the right to fight back on that day. And so, as you look at Esther chapter 8 and verse 10, really you look for a people, and especially we focus in on those people on Mordecai and Esther. When you focus in on those, the, the, the people of Israel, they had no hope. All the Jewish people were going to be destroyed. They had no way out of that. The king had ordered it. He had decreed it. There was going to be no stopping it. Then in verse 10, this is what happens. And he wrote in King Ahasuerus' name and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by posts on horseback and riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries, wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together and to stand for their life to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them. Going on to verse 12, uh, oh sorry, verse 11, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. And then verse 12, upon one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, namely, upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given to every province was published unto all the people, and that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. And then going forward to verse 14, it says, So the posts that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment. And the decree was given 
at Shushan, the palace. And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, and with a great crown of gold and with a garment of the linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Verse 16, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Then verse 17 says, and in every province, in every city, whithersoever um, uh, the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day, and many of the people of the land became Jews for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. So as you look at that, you say, wow, what a change of events. Haman is hung on the gallows that he prepared for uh, Mordecai. Mordecai replaces Haman as the number two man. And remember, Mordecai is Esther's cousin. Mordecai is the one that raised Esther. And then he's the one that guided Esther until Esther really figured out the will of God in this matter. And you see the change from a people of no hope to seeing their Savior once again deliver them from the challenge that they faced in their lives. A day of fear where there was going to be a set day. Imagine knowing the day you were going to die. Imagine knowing that day and just the fear that you would, leading up to that day, that you would know that on a set day this is going to happen. And then at the last minute you get a reprieve that says, hey, you can fight back. You can, you can defeat those that are trying to attack you. And the, notice that everywhere, the, they haven't even won yet, but as the decree is given out through the whole land, the Jews rejoice now. Instead of being in fear, they now see the deliverance that God has offered to them. And you know, it, it just tells us, don't give up in a time of trouble. Don't give up when things look hard. Keep going for the Lord, because the Lord has, you know, we have a finite mind. The Lord has an infinite mind, and he knows all. Everything is in the present to him. Everything, he sees everything. And so the excitement of that, the Jews can fight back. That's so exciting. And then lastly here, we see that the Feast of Purim was established. You know, the Feast of Purim is still being celebrated to this day. In fact, this year, it was just celebrated. In 2020, the Feast of Purim was celebrated on March 9th and 10th of this year. And the Jews are still celebrating today this deliverance that God gave Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people from, the, from, this, uh, from this, really this one man, Haman, and the people that sought to destroy the Jews. And so we see that here in Esther chapter 9 and verse 24. Esther 9, 24 says this, Because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast Pur, that is the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. By the way, that, that name Pur, that's where they get that from. It means lots, the, the lot that was cast on what day to destroy them. And so Purim is why it's called the Feast of Purim. And so as we go forward here to verse 25, it says, But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, that which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Verse 26 goes on to, Wherefore they called these days Purim, after the name of Pure, therefore uh, for all the words of this letter and of that which they had seen concerning this matter and which had come unto them, the Jews ordained and, and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them so as it could not fail that they would keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year. 
And verse 28 says, and th that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every um, generation, every family, every province, every city, and that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them that perish from their seed. So you think about it. What do we do every week here in church? What do we do every, every, all the time? Why do we have master's club? Why do we have Sunday school? Why do we have pastor preaching the message every week? Why? To teach the next generation, to pass down our faith from one generation to the next, to tell the next generation what great things God has done. See, someday you're going to be able to tell your kids and your grandkids how God delivered you through the coronavirus. You'll be able to tell them that how you were able to look to him. You know, I picked early in the message when I told you about those three stories in my life where God delivered me. Uh, you know, I talked about having a child with no health insurance and then it turning into a C-section, which literally uh, tripled and quadrupled the price of what I was expecting to pay. And then getting ready for Mark to go to college and not having the funds set aside for that. You know, I'd mentioned that. And then I mentioned the physical ailment of my eye and going blind and wondering, why did I go blind in that eye? What was, you know, was it cancer? What was it? What caused it? Is it repairable? Am I going to get my sight back? And you know, whatever we have for us in life, we look to the Savior. We look to the cross of Calvary. We look to what God has done in our life. See, I try to increase your faith by things God's done in my life. And you increase my faith all the time with the stories you tell me that God's delivered you in some way. You know, the modern-day miracle is anytime anybody accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. When you, when you, when you put aside your, man, your man's pride and you realize that the only way I'm going to go to heaven is through a Savior, through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we do that, that's a miracle of God. When we'll put aside our own will and look to what God has for us, when we'll accept Christ as our Savior. And let me challenge you to, tonight. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we're here as a church to help you figure that out. Just call or contact the church. We'd be glad to share that with you. Share the love of Christ with you and explain to you from the Scriptures. Uh, in fact, let me challenge you. If, you. if you're even contemplating that right, right now tonight, I want you to read 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says we can know we have eternal life. I love this passage. 1 John chapter 5 is so basic. Why did Esther and Mordecai have the faith to deal with this situation? Because they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I'm thankful for that. Well, as we close tonight, I want to thank you, church family, first of all, for listening to the service and being faithful. And I want to thank you for all that you've done uh, 